Our scripture passage this morning is found in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll begin reading in the uh, 16th verse. Hear now the word of the Lord. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We are a, a product of our past. Every event, good or bad, creative or destructive, courageous or cowardice, it all, it all brings you to the point where you are right now. You, you change any one of those things and your life would be thrown off and would look very, very different. It's said that the saints in glory, they give thanks for their sins. Because it was through those sins that they could see the great nature of Jesus' grace. That's kind of what it means to be mature in faith. It's to be able to own your whole history. To testify that once you were lost, but now you are found. We are the product of our past. And yet, oftentimes when we talk about forgiveness... We speak about it in ways that suggest that this is not true. That there's this pop theology that glibly says that we are supposed to simply forgive and forget. Like the, that children's toy that some of you played with, or I mean I played with it, it was called an Etch-a-Sketch. You know, there was little, uh, drew little lines and then you just shook it very vigorously and, and those lines would disappear. We, we take that and we, we bring it into the world of forgiveness. I, I hurt my friend. And I go to them and I say, forgive it, forgive me, and just forget that that ever happened. Shake it off, as if the scars that are left by the hurt don't matter. At, at Auschwitz, the, the German concentration camp, there, there's a monument that reads, O earth, cover not their blood. There are some things that we simply cannot forget. And if forgiveness means forgetting, then it becomes something trivial and something that could even be offensive. Another popular idea is, is not quite as bad as forgive and forget, but it's forgive and don't hold it against me. I remember how you hurt me, but I, I don't hold it against you anymore. Some people apply this to God. I am a sinner, but God graciously doesn't hold that sin against me. It's as if God looks at us with cross-shaped glasses, as if the blood of Christ only affected a change in God's eyeglasses prescription. It's a better 
than forgive and forget. But the problem is it leaves us right where we are and nothing has changed. Paul in 2 Corinthians gives us a, another way. He says that forgiveness isn't canceling a debt or, or writing off of a hurt. Forgiveness is addition. It's a gift giving. The gift we receive comes from the Holy Spirit. At our baptisms, we are clothed in Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. This is what God does for us. But then we must turn. We must pivot and then offer that same forgiveness, that same reconciliation to others. I preached on this just a couple of weeks ago, but what I didn't say in that sermon is that I am a deeply selfish and cheap person. I don't like giving gifts. I, I like getting gifts for myself. You know, I like buying new toys and shiny objects, but, but not so much for other people. I don't like giving gifts to my friends or my wife, and especially not to the ungrateful humans who live in my house and fight with each other and argue about chores. As you can see, it's pretty clear I struggle with forgiveness. The grudges that I nurture and feed, they keep me warm in the cold nights of August. That's the thing about drug grudges. That's the thing about the lack of forgiveness. You, you kind of have to work at it. You have to repeat the offenses over and over in your mind. You have to, to lean into those places of hurt and anger. You have to create narratives about motives and intentions. You have to pick at the wound to keep it fresh. But when we start the journey towards salvation, we have to unlearn those habits. We have been forgiven by God, but the deformation continues. Forgiveness is a craft. And that form the craft takes is called reconciliation. It's always the same movement. God has acted. God has done something, comforted us, forgiven us, given us power. Then we reply to what, respond to what God has done by doing for others. Then we act. We are never the initiators. Our action is always necessarily a response. That's what Paul says about reconciliation. God has reconciled us, and then we carry on the work of reconciliation with others. And that work begins with our eyes. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. The phrase that Paul uses is, is the Greek phrase katasarka, from the flesh, upon the flesh, skin deep. And, and maybe it's just me, but... But when I get discouraged, when I get worried, when I get stressed out, when things start going in a different direction than I had planned, when life gets hard, when marriages get rocky, when the job gets shaky and the kids are terrible and the friends are disappearing, I really start to look at the world from the flesh, from the human point of view. What is that human point of view? Well, in a lot of ways, it, I think it kind of reflects the 
the, the stages of grief that are so popular. Denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, and finally, acceptance. We, we've all done that, right? When disappointment or discouragement hits, we, we first off deny the problem. If you just don't acknowledge it, it might just go away. Then inevitably becomes that anger. You, you shake your fist at the world. Then you, you start to bargain. What can I do to, to fix this? And when that doesn't work, the sadness, the depression sets in. And finally, when all else fails, there comes the acceptance. Resignation if you're an existentialist. You throw up your hands and just resign yourself that this is the way life is. I think that's a lot of what Paul's saying, kata sarka, from the human point of view. It's also tied up with our understanding of sin. Not, not that flesh equals sin, but sin has gotten into everything. Sin marks all of creation. It's not just between you and God. Sin is not just between you and, and someone else. Sin is in the very fabric of the universe. Sin destroys what was originally ordered and right. There, there's this old Jewish uh, story uh, told by rabbis about a king who wanted to punish his son, and so he sends his son off into exile. His son's there suffering from cold and hunger, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits. Years go by. Finally, the king has decided the prince had learned his lesson, and so he sends out an emissary, the emissary shows up at the prince's house and, and delivers the message, and then he waits for the instructions. And all the prince asks him for is a bit of bread and a warm coat. He had forgotten that he could return to his father's palace. He had forgotten who he was. Sin destroys everything, even how we remember even how we see ourselves. But Paul's message is clear. In Christ, there is new creation. I, I always like to give people permission at this verse to take a pencil and, and just mark out the word A in your Bible. It's not just an individual being changed. God is recreating the world. The old has passed away. God has come to us. God has come to the world, to the cosmos, and begun the work of making us new. Romans 8.1 puts it this way, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not God putting on Jesus bifocals. There is a change. There is a transformation God doesn't come to us with accusation or frustration or annoyance at our forgetful, broken, sinful world. God comes to us with grace. It's probably apocryphal. It probably didn't happen. But the story is told of Karl Barth being asked a question. What would you say, great theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth, if you could talk to Adolf Hitler? This was apparently while Hitler was rampaging through Europe, but, but before the full scope of the atrocities were known. And, and in the story, Bart replies, I would tell him Romans 5.8, but God proves his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He goes on, only the unparalleled mercy and forgiveness of God 
Only the unstinted gladness and grace of the gospel could prompt genuine repentance. To accuse prompts self-defensiveness. It, it creates angry and justification of deeds. Uh, recently, there's been a, a lot of talk in the culture around us about white privilege and implicit bias and systemic racism. And, and for a lot of us in the church, those terms create this immediate, visceral response. It might be anger, it might be annoyance, it might, might maybe a little self-defensiveness is thrown in. We, we hear those words firstly as an accusation. In the coming months, we're going we're gonna to be talking about a, a lot of that stuff. And just to be honest, I don't know what we're going to say yet. I don't know what I'm going to say yet. But I have a very clear, I have very clearly felt the leading of the Holy Spirit that this is something that we have to deal with in the church. We have to talk about it. We have to understand. We have to listen. In the words of the old timers, we have to pray through. But before that conversation can happen, we need to hear this word of grace first. Not accusation, not finger pointing, but the lavish gladness and overflowing grace of the gospel. In Christ there is new creation. The old has passed away. Paul uses the perfect tense. It's, it doesn't mean a lot, but it means well, it means a lot, but not to most of you. It, what it says is it's the continuing, ongoing nature of this transformation. We talk about it in the church of the Nazarene as entire sanctification. Yes, God saves you at this point, but God has things that God wants to do with you. Growth and grace, further transformation. So when our assumptions are challenged, when our human point of view is questioned, we are always open to the possibility that God is leading us in a new direction, in the ways of new creation. And we experience that new creation through the work of reconciliation. We practice new creation as we engage in the work of reconciliation. One of my uh, pastoral ministry uh, mentors would always talk about how pastors spoke so poorly of their calling. God drags us kicking and screaming into ministry. If you can do anything else in the world and be happy, go do it. Instead of taking on the crushing burden of reconciliation. For, for my minister, that was, for my mentor, excuse me, that was the exactly wrong way round. He would talk about being a young hellion on the road to misery and destruction. And he found himself astonished at the idea that he too might be a proclaimer of the best of all tidings. Figuratively speaking, he, he ran after God, grabbed God by the shoulders and, and turned him around and said, Might I too partake in this calling? So too, we aren't to be dragged reluctantly into God's kingdom, but we are rather to embrace our role as ambassadors, the calling that is unsurpassable privilege. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we 
are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Casey Thompson put it this way, The work of reconciliation creates a new world, a world where death and pain and mourning are no more, a world free of addiction, a world where mothers and daughters and fathers and sons find love where there was mistrust, a world where marriages are joys instead of burdens, a world where everyone has a decent place to live, a world where children can be taught and safely by teachers who don't go home and weep at night, a world where people do not suffer because the medication is too expensive, a world where women are not coerced into lives they cannot bear, a world where children do not settle the world that men create, a world where the imagination is as powerful as market indicators and machine guns, a world where everything becomes new by the act of faith, the act of trusting that the futures God whispers into the ears of the church can be brought into being. My friends, beloved, you are products of your past. The good and the bad have brought you to this place. That past can't be forgotten or erased, but that past need no longer define you. In Christ, there is new creation. And that new creation calls us to do the work of overflowing reconciliation and see the world made new all around us. Let us pray. And now, Lord Christ, by your infinite, beautiful grace, you have begun the work of new creation in us. You have brought about reconciliation between us and the Father. And we ask, O oh God, that you would place within our hands the work of reconciliation with brothers and sisters, with friends and neighbors, with division and hatred, with pain and suffering all around, may we, O oh God, reach out with hands to work, with hearts to love, and with eyes to see, that we might bring about reconciliation in the new kingdom that you have promised. In the name of our Lord and Savior, risen King Jesus, we pray.